Good afternoon, everyone. Um, I'm married to Liz, so John's introduced myself as Rob. I'm a lawyer by training. Married to Liz, who quite a lot of you know because she runs the Debt Advice Centre here in ENC Exeter. But she's also very wise because this Sunday she's decided to go and visit her dad so she doesn't have to listen to me. I've been reflecting on Seaside and the message that Rich Johnson gave us. Um, it was really, I think it was really powerful for me. And I liken what he was saying to God in these last two years has been sort of using a rotavator to really change the dry and parched land of our society. And he's been breaking the pillars and foundations, the, those things that we cling on to, that we think are worthwhile. But God has been breaking them. And he's been knocking down the idols and the false gods that we, all of us in society, including everyone here, has allowed to be created and worshipped. But God's got a plan. And we sang earlier that God has done great things. But actually, God is still doing great things, and God is going to do great things. I sense that God is giving us a new vision, a new calling, for both individually and corporately. But there's a catch, and actually there's always a catch when God asks you to do something. I think this time it's going to be hard. I think for a lot of us, it's been too comfortable. When you look at the people in Ukraine, they're fighting for their lives. Has the church in the Western world been fighting for lives to save? I think it's going to require us to be all in. No half measures. No lukewarm churches. And to paraphrase a line from Delirious, it's going to require us not to be ashamed of the gospel. So next to Jesus, David is the most spoken person about in the Bible. And as we consider vision and calling, I just wonder if there's anything we can learn from David. And then as we talk about David, I'm just going to throw a few bits of my story in. Because I love listening to other people's stories, so you're going to have to listen to a bit of mine. Firstly, as the passage from Acts showed, God testified concerning David. As a man after my own heart, and he will do everything I want him to do. So David had a heart in tune with God. And in a way, that's what Network have been trying to do over the last few months as we look to reset ourselves, is to become more in tune with what God's saying. And throughout the Bible, when David is mentioned, it's his heart that's mentioned first. Not his strength, not his physical appearance, not his achievements, his politics, his battles won, but the state of his heart. 
The reading in Samuel showed us a bit about where David came from. He was the last in the family. So actually he was the least of the least. He came from a small town, not a big city. He was unlikely to inherit anything. And he expected of nothing. However, David had one thing. He had dreams. He entertained thoughts of greatness through serving God. Because David's heart was in tune with God, David wanted to serve God. And because of that, he had dreams of greatness. Many of the Psalms written by David were written whilst he was a nobody tending the sheep of his father in the fields. So he had a heart for God, but he also had a heart of worship. A heart after God, a heart in harmony with God. So David had this heart after God and a heart of worship. The two things that we need corporately, individually, community-wise, country-wide, worldwide. We need people to have a heart after God and a heart of worship. And then he had dreams and vision. Vision is very important because without vision, you can't see anything. Here I'm talking about vision being God's purpose and plans for us. Our calling. What does, want, what does God want us to do? What does he want me to do, you to do? What does he want us as a church to do? What does he want us as a community to do? The Bible's full of examples of God's vision for people's lives. Noah and the flood, Moses and the promised land. Gideon the battles, Joshua the walls, Peter and Paul reaching Jews and Gentiles. And vision is crucial to our growth as Christians. However, as many know, God's vision can be incredibly difficult and quite often involves intense hardship and sacrifice. Abraham and Sarah were promised and given a vision of a great nation like stars of the universe. But then God called Abraham to kill the vision by sacrificing his son, Isaac. Of course, he didn't have to sacrifice his son, but he was asked by God to go that step. Because so often for God's vision and plans for our lives to succeed, God must first kill the vision. That sounds rather harsh. But unfortunately, left to our own devices, we always want the vision to be fulfilled quickly and through us. We want God to say, it's you and it's now. We don't want to hear, not yet, not you. However, when we look at vision in the Bible, God invariably says, not yet, and quite often says, not you. David was recruited by God. He was given a great vision, a vision to be a king over God's people, a vision of leadership, authority, fame, and celebrity. David was recruited by God. 
he was recognized as an anointed one. He was recognized as an anointed musician. He was recognized as a commander in chief. Surely this is it, the fulfillment of the vision. No, after the defeat of Goliath, their next step is rejection. David was rejected by Saul, the king. And throughout 1 Samuel, Saul tries various ways to kill David. He even told his own son to kill David. And David runs from Saul. That's not really a king, is it? An anointed king running. He hides amongst his enemies, feigns insanity, and eventually ends up in the scorched desert landscape in a place of utter desolation. David feels rejected by everyone, including God. What happened to the promises and the anointing? So many of David's Psalms begin in this place. Why? Because God wants David to get to the place of absolute submission. So part one of a bit of my story. In the mid, late, in the mid 1990s, I had some powerful encounters of the Holy Spirit for the first time. And I started to get these weird prophecies. For those of you who don't really know what prophecy is, when somebody comes up to you and says something to you that resonates with you that they don't actually know anything about or says something that really makes your heart sing. And I started to get these words from people who were really well known in the Christian world, not myself, I didn't know them. People like Bruce Collins, John Peters, who's well known to this church, I'd never met him before. Mark Malewish, I was on a new wine trip to Finland and got some random leader of the Finnish church coming up, giving me some words and pictures. Um, an archbishop from South Africa was over visiting new wine and found me amongst 9,000 people because he had a, written down a word for me. And then we were at St. Andrew's Church, Clumpton at this time. I was doing the reading a bit like Sue had done. And at the end, I was walking out and a retired vicar came up and said, oh, we're on holiday from York. I've got this word for you. I didn't know what was going on. They were all about leadership. One, one person said, I can see a toolbox with all the tools you need for leadership. And on the back of that, I started to run Alpha, led a cafe church and started to think, this is, this is it. This is God's calling on my life. Somebody had a picture of me leading a whole tent coming out of New Wine, 300 people with me leading them. What on earth did all this mean? So, a lot of people said, oh, this must mean ordination. This must mean going into the ministry. I didn't want to go into the ministry. Sorry, John. Liz certainly didn't want to be a vicar's wife. But through obedience, I said I would push each door. So I kept pushing and pushing, and the doors kept opening. And it was getting scarier and scarier. And I went to the final selection weekend, 
and came back and said to Liz, I think I've got through with about that much enthusiasm. <laughs> I remember I was at work, it was Liz's birthday. She had the best birthday present ever that year because <laughs> she opened the letter saying they didn't want me. But that was incredible rejection. I felt incredibly hurt. I felt incredibly isolated. I felt incredibly distant from God. I just felt, what on earth was all that about? Where is God in this? A bit like David running from Saul. At least I wasn't, my life wasn't in danger. But it was a really, really hard, rocky time for me. You see, the problem, if you're like me, is we'll always try and add something to what God has said. We'll always try and make it about ourselves rather than about what God wants. We'll want to change the vision because actually God I know best. Leave it to me, God. I can see where you want me to go, but leave it to me because I can get us there. However noble in spirit, we will always try and do it ourselves. God gives us a vision of what he is going to do. We get a vision of what we're going to do. God must get us to the point of total surrender a place of spiritual exhaustion so that we can stop trying to do it for God so that God can start doing it for himself through us. The mountaintop is only reached once you've been through the valleys. And we all know Psalm 23 written by David, walking through the valley of death. It's in the valley again that actually David finds the Lord and the, re the vision is reignited. When everything has been stripped away, all of the clutter of our lives and our ambition removed, then in the deepest valley we find God. Sounds a bit like society today, doesn't it? All of what society assumed were the foundations of the modern world have or are being stripped away or demolished. Nobody could have foretold the last two years. So, to continue my story. It was hard. It was really, really hard. But I kept with my faith, just. Really good friends around me supported me. And I just thought, okay, I've got to get on with my life. I was a lawyer working in Exeter, and I just accepted that was it. About six years after the rejection, I just sensed God wanting to nudge me, do something, and all of the prophecies came back. Just like for those old enough, a cine film, for those young enough, for, and, and Netflix streaming, they all started to come back in real clarity. And I just thought, what on earth's going on, God? I've been through enough pain and heartache the first time round. And I felt God say to me, very, very clearly, not audibly, but in my heart, God say, 
You've got a choice, Robert. You were obedient. You went forward for ordination. You can let these go. And I will not hold that against you because you were obedient and you followed my prompting. Or you can reclaim them all. Now, know that those of you who know me well, I'm a bit of a risk taker, a bit of a maverick. I like a bit of excitement. So the boring one of letting them go just wasn't an option. So I reclaimed them. I said, I'm going to reclaim them. What is interesting, as we sang, I am who I am. I accepted who I was and who I had been made by God. The skills and the gifts that God had given me. My identity was in Christ, not who I was or what I did. And I reclaimed those prophecies. And then amazing stuff started to happen to just an ordinary bloke. I started to get involved in leadership at the firm. I was invited to go on the board of Tear Fund. And then over time, I was asked to be managing partner of the firm. It was then that it clicked. Not one of the words, the pictures, the prophecies, the Bible passages had been about ministry full time. Every one of them had been about leadership. Of course, we just assumed that leadership meant full time ministry. But actually, God wanted me to lead in a law firm in Exeter. So I thought, how do I really honor this vision? So I started to, without telling anybody, model servant leadership. Now, in the business world, servant leadership is known by a book written by Robert Greenleaf in the 1970s. However, as a Christian, I know that servant leadership is modeled by Christ. And there's a great example of servant leadership for us all, not just of those in business, but anybody who is leading, and I challenge you all that you will all be leading somebody. There's a great example, and that's the feeding of the 5,000 as to what servant leadership actually means. Because servant leadership is a conscious decision to lead the opposite of leader first. Everyone is a child of God. So the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus has done his work, he's preached, and there's all these people, 5,000 men they reckon, so it's going to be well over eight, nine, ten thousand if you include the women and the children, and they're hungry. If I was a disciple, I'd be saying to Jesus, we've got to get out of here, we've got to make a discreet exit, because you've got a really engaged crowd and they're hungry. But Jesus, if you read the passage, had compassion for them. So his first emotion was compassion for the 5,000 because he knew they were hungry. Of course, Jesus didn't need a vision, but he had the vision that we can feed these. So he said to his disciples, look, we can feed these. What would your reaction have been if you'd have been a disciple? Come on, give us a break, Jesus. How are we going to feed these people we've got? Five loaves, 12, 12, was it? I've got it the wrong way around. A handful of bread and a handful of fish. 
But he had a plan, Jesus. He knew he could bless that, and that would be enough to feed 5,000 people. But what's great about the example of servant leadership is Jesus could have done that, couldn't he? He could have got the food, he could have prayed over it, and it, people could have come forward and just got what they needed. But he didn't. He gave it to his disciples and said, you go and feed them. He was empowering his disciples. However scared they were, however they thought this is nuts, he said, go and do it. Go and do it for me. He used what little he had and they went out and fed them. And then the key point for me is at the end, he didn't stand up again on the Sermon to the Mount and say, look how great I am. He slipped away in a boat across to the other side of Lake Galilee. So who got all the thanks and praise? The disciples, the ones who doubted, the ones who think it wouldn't work. So that's what I started to try and do at Stephen Scone. What do I mean? Well, we, I tried to change the culture by introducing positive postcards of really encouraging people to say thank you just when small things were done. Um, John asked if we could have the men's early shift in the, the building. I could have just said yes, but I thought that's abuse of my power. So I actually emailed all the partners and said, look, we've got a bunch of men from my church who would like to come and do early morning prayer. That was quite a scary email to send, actually. I thought they'd say no, genuinely, I thought they'd say no. They all said yes. Wasn't that great? We had 6.30, we had about 20 blokes, desperate need of caffeine, singing out of tune, raising hymns and songs to, in the building where 120 people were working. Praise was going up from the ground floor. Um, another great one, Darren had, a, Darren had a brilliant thing at one of the early shifts. We were talking about this. And he said, what about every time you make a drink, and this can apply to anybody, you boil the kettle. Whilst the kettle's boiling, ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And then when you pour your cup, you're filling yourself with the Holy Spirit. Don't look at the news. Don't look at your phone. Just ask God for that two minutes that the kettle's boiling. Random acts of kindness as well. But it's not always been easy. As if you read the whole story of David, it's not always easy. And sometimes it takes time before, before you see any tangible benefits of what you're trying to achieve. When you're listening to God's vision, when you're trying to enact God's vision, you've got to keep listening to God. You've got to keep taking time to go back to God and say, how am I doing? Am I doing okay? Am I still on the right track? Because if you don't, you'll very quickly go off on your own. You may be doing stuff for a long time and don't see the results, don't see any change. But don't give up. Just keep asking God. God, what plans have you for me? What is my calling? What vision is for me? Ask what you should be doing practically. God will show you. Share with others your vision and ask them to pray into it. Have dreams. 
have dreams. It's not always easy. And just a couple of examples where God really pushed me almost to the limit. So at One New Wine, I lived quite early on when I was trying to model this servant leadership. I felt God say to me, what you've got to do, Robert, is you've got to go back from New Wine and every week you've got to pray for the firm and you've got to do it in the office. So we had three offices, one in Exeter, two in Cornwall. When this started, there were about 160 people working for the firm. The first thing I did, I actually mentioned that to a friend so I was accountable because I knew that if I didn't say that, I didn't tell anybody, I wouldn't do it. Or I might do it for two or three weeks. So I thought eight o'clock Monday morning, I'll go up to one of the meeting rooms, which completely visible, with my Bible and pray for the, the firm. It's fair to say for the first three weeks, I hope, I didn't actually do any praying or a part. I did pray. I just prayed. I hope nobody comes in and asks me what I'm doing. <laughs> but after a while, I started to really pray for the firm. And I think I did nearly every week. Some weeks I just couldn't, but I did nearly every week. So that was great. Went back to New Wine the following year and said, God, that's it. I've done that. Tick. Thanks very much. And God said, okay. Again, not audible, but feel. God said, okay. Now what I want you to do is pray for anybody who works for your firm who's going through a hard time. I said, whoa, 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 hold on. All of the reasons not to do it flooded into my head, you know, abuse of my position, how am I going to find out, people won't want me asking, people won't want me caring, all of the negative stuff. But I said, okay, I'm going to do it. But I did say, come on, God, when I go back, can it please be a Christian who plays five-a-side football who's broken their leg. Because <laughs> that would be quite an easy person to say I'm going to pray for. And what God actually also really burnt on my heart, that I had to write individually to these people, personally, with a card to their home address, and I had to say in that note, I will be praying for you. So this was really pushing me out of my comfort zone and stretching me. So I got back, waiting for this Christian five-a-side football player with a broken leg, and the first person, because I, I said to our HR director, I would love, I had known quite a lot, but I would love to know if anybody ha is having real problems at home. And I said to the HR director, the first person she said me with about two weeks of getting back from New Wine, she said, Robert, um, such and such has had a terrible miscarriage. They'd been trying for a child for many years. I thought, thanks God, that's... But I did it, and I wrote, and as soon as I wrote the words, I will be praying for you, it struck why God wanted me to do that. Because I didn't know when they received that card whether they just put it in the bin or they would put it on their fridge. And if they put it on their fridge, and I wasn't praying for them, that was pretty lousy. So I, I sent that, I got a lovely email back thanking me, and then what's really nice, about eight months later, HR director said, oh, by the way, such and such is going for a scan tomorrow. Um, I managed to speak to her, I said, when is your scan? She told me, I said, look, I'm not gonna be in the office, but I will pray at three o'clock when you have your scan. 
What's brilliant, the next day, the HR director said to me, oh, by the way, such and such said, can you thank Robert for his prayers? Everything's good. Over my eight years as managing partner, I sent over 200 of those personal cards. Not one person said, what are you doing? Not one person complained. Loads of people wrote to me, thanked me, thanked me through third parties, their team leader. And when I left the firm, the best things that people remembered me for were the cards that I'd written. So to conclude, where are you with God's calling on your life in this time of seismic change? Where are you with God's vision for you? Are you still waiting to hear it? And if you are, have you really asked for it? Or have you known what it is for a long time but have been scared about stepping out in faith and doing it? Or do you think you are doing it and are getting frustrated because it's hard and nothing seems to be happening? Or are you a bit like me, impatient and just trying to improve it, nuance it, finesse it, make it better? So, as I finish, I think I'd love when the right time for the ministry prayer team to come out. And if any of you feel that any of those or anything about your vision and your calling in this time when the church needs to rise up would like prayer, the ministry team would love to pray for you. If you're lost, you don't know what it is, have prayer and somebody will pray for you. If you're unsure, if you're scared about doing something God's prompting you, come forward and have ministry. It is scary, but I know that following God's vision, when you find it and submit to it, is great fun. Absolutely joyous and has so much positive stuff, but it won't be easy. I've stepped down as managing partner, I've left the firm, and I'm excited about what God has in store for me now. I'm impatient. Come on, God, show me. Thank you. <laughs>